We are talking about prayer this morning, and uh, that's, uh, that is a, a, a topic that honestly we cannot discuss the mission of Jesus without talking about prayer. If Jesus is the source of the mission, then obviously it helps to know the things that Jesus has done and that he might want us to do, but it helps a great deal to remain in conversation with Jesus. To, to keep this uh, to keep this conversation active and to be uh, to have give and take with Jesus throughout this walk because frankly it's really easy for us as human beings to to miss the whole point to even sometimes have the right destination in mind but 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 get off get off track because we uh, we're not ha- in that active conversation with Jesus I'm reminded of uh, this interaction that we see between Peter and Jesus when when Jesus predicts to his uh, apostles his upcoming arrest and torture and death and even his resurrection, and as they're listening to all of this, they're disturbed by it. And, and Peter, fresh off of having confessed that Jesus is, is the Christ, um, now has the audacity to take Jesus aside and correct him around. He, scripture says he rebukes Jesus about this. He says, this, this cannot happen, Lord. This, this cannot happen to you. This will never happen to you. And Jesus responds this way in Matthew 16 and 23. He says, get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Now, I can't imagine how devastating it must have been for Peter to hear those words come from his Lord. But being human, we all recognize that we have a tendency towards human concerns. Jesus is calling Peter to be more than human, that it is a high calling. we, we tend to focus on human things, and, and honestly, it's very difficult for us at times to discern the difference between God's will and what I would like God's will to be. We have been trying to sort this out by looking at different mission principles, and uh, in addition to those mission principles, I... I've started to offer you several different metrics by which we can recognize the mission and even evaluate the success of the mission. Those metrics, uh, the first eight, are the cost of the mission is dear, the standard of the mission is faithfulness, the criteria of the mission is efficacy, the onus of the mission is capacity, the scope of the mission is supernatural, The focus of the mission is forward, and the culture of the mission is change. And finally, the measure of the mission is transformation. Now, that brings us to mission metric number nine. The foundation of the mission is prayer. Now, I didn't save this to last because it's the least. Quite the opposite. I saved it to last because it is um, essential to our transition into having a conversation about the strategy and priority of Jesus' mission. 
We say that the foundation of the mission is prayer, meaning that it undergirds the mission and everything that comes after. By saying that prayer is the foundation of the mission, we're not simply saying that prayer is a good idea, that prayer is a good thing to add on in the mix. We're saying that if it doesn't begin with prayer and it doesn't persist in prayer, there's a very good chance it's not the mission at all. Because prayer is the only reasonable response to a supernatural calling. And that is precisely what we have, a supernatural calling. Our mission is not only about our capacity, but it is about what Christ is calling us to do. In that mission, God provides us with what we need. Our mission is not about what we can do or about what we have, but it's about what he wants to do through us. Once we realize this, once we realize that God might and in fact probably will ask us to do more than our human capacity allows for, the only reasonable course of action is to seek him out each and every step of the way. And in fact, when we look at Jesus in his ministry, we see just that. Jesus, who clearly has a capacity to fulfill God's will in ways that you and I could not possibly have, still, at every possible moment, seeks his Father out through prayer. And we read a lot of stories about Jesus doing this, taking time for prayer, even when things are very busy and and sometimes when things are desperate. Many examples of that, but a favorite verse for me is is, uh, Luke 5, verse 15 and 16. It says, yet the, the news about him spread all the more so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. I love that in the midst of all this chaos, in the midst of all this busyness, Jesus takes this time to go to what Scripture calls lonely places where he can speak alone with his Father. And this really is my introduction to mission strategy number one, which is pray always and pray alone. Now, when I say pray alone, I don't mean to preclude public prayer. I just mean that we need to recognize the primacy that Jesus gives to solitary prayer. There is, of course, a place for both of these things in the church. But there's a sense in which solitary prayer is the primary prayer. Solitary prayer is nearly incorruptible, except perhaps by pride. Pride can get into anywhere and corrupt anything. Jesus warns us, on the other hand, he warns us in Matthew 6, that that public prayers can be very easily corrupted. Public prayers can be uh, to be seen. They, They can be to prove our religiosity or our piety. They can be mindless repetition. They can be a perfunctory performance. I have to tell you, I tend towards a severe caution about these things. I'm not terribly comfortable with my own public prayer. If I seem ambivalent about prayer at times, I don't want you to mistake that for a lack of priority, because chances are 
that whatever we're doing has been washed in prayer in my private life. Public prayer concerns me, in part because I'm trained as a communicator, as as trained in, in speech communications, and I'm constantly aware of my audience, and I hate the fact that when I'm talking to God publicly, I'm aware that you're there. My private prayer life is so much more simple. There are many examples of public prayer in Scripture, so I I, I don't mean to vilify public prayer. It's an important part of, of what we do and how we worship together. But it needs to be grounded in solitary prayer. It needs to be informed by solitary prayer. Most importantly, it needs to be outnumbered by our solitary prayer. Our prayer life should be like an iceberg. The exposed part should be the lesser part. And whatever emerges from the surface should be a reflection of the genuine solitary prayer life that we engage. Paul says in Philippians 4, verses 6 and 7, he says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. There's a lot going on here, but I think one of the things that Paul is saying is that prayer must be our first response rather than our last resort. A lot of us this time of year are going to watch It's a Wonderful Life, right? We were talking about it the other day. It's one, one of my favorite Christmas movies. Jimmy Stewart, one of my favorite all-time actors. There's that moment in It's a Wonderful Life where he reaches complete desperation. And even though he says, I'm not a praying man, he reaches out to God and he prays for help. There is uh, something iconic about that moment something beautiful about the person who reaches the end and and seeks God. There is, if we're honest though, theologically, something really, really messed up about that. Because this is this is this is how we as human beings tend to function, right? We we pretend that we can manage as long as possible. And then when we come to the point where we recognize we're really not managing, that's when we turn to God. And that's not the prayer life that we're meant to have as followers of Jesus. We look at what we can do, what we have, and when we come up short and we say, God, can you lend us a hand? And we do it all the time. I, I, we forget all the time, don't we? I, I, I always forget. I forget when I'm reading the news. And maybe you do this too. I read, the, I read several news websites pretty much every morning. And as I'm reading through the news, I start to get a little nervous, a little anxious, a little frustrated. Because there's a lot of foolishness, there's a lot of darkness, there's a lot of deception, there's a lot of flat-out stupidity being reported in the news. And there's a part of me that thinks, I, what, what, I need to do something. And the reality is I have no control. The reality is, it goes to God first. If God chooses to use me to do something about it, awesome. But it goes to Him first. But I do forget, I do have to remind myself, this truth is particularly true 
of our supernatural mission. If we're on a supernatural mission for God, we don't start out with a focus on natural things in order to accomplish that mission. We start out seeking supernatural resources. Jesus says in John 14, verse 12, Very truly I say to you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and, this is hard to believe, they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Now, let's be honest. We're a little skeptical of that passage. We're a little skeptical because uh, we've all sort of learned, most of us, the hard way that Jesus is not a magic wish machine. Jesus, really praying hard for a pony. And we don't get a pony, and then Scripture's not true. Of course, this is not at all what this passage is about. It's not what it means. It's not how it works. Specifically, Jesus is talking about the work, the mission in advancing his kingdom. What do we need to take from this? Well, first of all, and this is really important, understand that prayer is the work and ministry is the reward for the work. We have a divine purpose. And so our starting place is to seek divine intervention. When we have engaged in his mission, Jesus is actually invested in our progress. That is a phenomenal position to be in. No matter what our human circumstances, to be in a position where God is at our side, working for our progress in building his kingdom, that is an amazing thing. It doesn't mean that everything will be easier. In many cases, it means that things will be much harder. It does mean that when we serve the right mission and we ask him, Jesus shows up. Ministry is not dependent upon us. It's not powered by natural things. It is powered by Jesus. We're just branches. You cut those branches off from the vine, they accomplish nothing. That being said, prayer is not a substitute for ministry. Prayer is a precursor to ministry. To pray in faith is to anticipate that Jesus will answer that prayer. And to be prepared for that is to be ready to be God's instrument in answering those prayers. Scripture specifically warns us about praying that people be warm and be fed if we're not really ready to warm them and feed them. I've had, uh, we've had some HVAC guys around here lately. Seems like beginning of every winter and the beginning of every summer, something in the HVAC system breaks down. And we've had HVAC guys in, a couple different ones, and both of them, uh, you know, I've been doing a lot of uh, work around the building, sometimes show up for my office days in grubby clothes. 
So both of these HVAC guys have asked me at different points, are you the maintenance man? <laughs> I'm like, okay, today I'm the maintenance man. Because that's sometimes what it is to be a minister in a small church, right? But this is, uh, this is kind of fitting. Even when I was doing contracting, one of my policies was, I don't ask anybody to do anything that I have not been willing at some point to do myself. So I don't, I don't send anybody in to replace septic lines. I'm not prepared to do that. Uh, we kind of have to have this same attitude with Jesus sometimes. Don't ask Jesus to do anything for us that we're not prepared to lift a finger to do. Prayer acknowledges our powerlessness without Jesus. It's why we begin with prayer. We are not just powerless in our moments of despair. We sometimes fool ourselves with that. We are insulated from our powerlessness by our prosperity, sometimes our political victories, our false measures of our own security. I've noticed over the years that Christians who express a great faith in God's ability to provide for us, will do anything within their power to make sure that God doesn't have to provide for us. Often we don't engage the mission of Jesus Christ simply because we recognize it as something we won't be able to accomplish without Jesus. And we'd rather, for some reason, function independently. We have this very frequent conversation here in the office, Caleb and I talking about students and their families who are immersed in this culture, this culture that is constantly working against us, this culture that is post-Christian, this culture that is uh, constantly informing us that Christianity is the problem, that people who actually believe in the Bible are backward, that people who believe and the fundamental institutions and relationships in this life are bigoted and inappropriate and no longer welcome. That's the culture in which we're attempting to minister. And when we think about that, we think about that constant inundation of those messages, those ungodly messages, and we try to figure out how is it that we go about with these little vignettes, these little venues that we have, these moments in time, how do we communicate the hope and the truth of the gospel. How do we get people to follow Jesus? We can't. Thankfully, it's not a mission that's dependent on us as human beings. It's a supernatural mission. We have a hope to do just that. We have a hope to be a light for Christ in this community, but, but not because we are the light, because we have the opportunity to reflect the light. It's not a matter of how many people we have. It's not a matter of how much money we have. It's not a matter of what our resources are. John 15 and 5, Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches, you Remain in me and I in you. You will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
means without Jesus, we are powerless all the time. And that is fantastic. I, I know that we're, we're not cultured to think that way. But it's fantastic to recognize that we are powerless without Jesus and that it is not about us. Prayer invites us to engage miraculous possibilities. See, once we have liberated the mission from the stranglehold of our human limitations, when it's his mission, his work, his ministry, his church, then we know it will be advanced by his love and his power. What is possible in the church is a function of his will and not our own. We can do nothing apart from Christ. In Christ, we will bear much fruit. Apart from him, nothing. Many things, Jesus says, are impossible for man, but with God, all things are possible. Paul says, in plenty or in want, I've learned that we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We begin with prayer not only because he can do the things that he's calling us to do. And we believe that he will. We begin with prayer because we're asking that his will will be done. Now, having said all of that, there's something I need to clarify because it's often confused in our culture. Prayer in Jesus' name, is not magic. That phrase, which has essentially become a tagline at the end of our prayers, as if we're uh, affixing proper postage to our prayers or maybe getting the right zip code, uh, that phrase is, is not particularly powerful. It's largely unnecessary. It's just a traditional practice. But the understanding the practice of praying in Jesus name not the words but the actual practice is crucial the prayer empowers the mission but praying in the name of Jesus empowers our prayer and it's not about the vocabulary it's about the position that we occupy prayer in the name of Jesus is submitted to the authority of Jesus in the same way that we might give a power of attorney to another person to take care of our affairs for us should we become incapacitated. To pray in the authority of Christ is like carrying God's power of attorney. It is to be submissive to that power and to be uh, working through it, to be living in that authority, to act as servants of the kingdom to advance the kingdom. To pray in the name is to do so from an attitude of servanthood, to place ourselves squarely under the authority of Jesus, seeking his interests above our own. It is submitted to the power of Jesus. As servants, we all bring unique gifts and talents to the table. 
but we do not presume to be able to accomplish a supernatural task with our natural resources. To pray in the name is to seek his power to accomplish his purposes. And it is submitted to the will of Jesus to stand in the world as proxy and witness for Jesus is an awesome responsibility. We have been entrusted with something very precious, something very sacred. We are stewards of his mission. And that only really works if we seek his mission, his will, above our own. To pray in the name is to have surrendered our will, to have taken up the mission, and to be actively, intentionally following Jesus. So in the name is, is not a tagline. It's, it's a relationship. It's, it's true discipleship. John says in 1 John 5, this is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we've asked of him. That is a remarkable statement. I'm not sure how often we experience the truth of that statement because it requires us first to be in his will. But understanding that, understand this, prayer born out of discipleship is in fact the church's most powerful resource. It's more powerful than anything we're bringing to the table, I assure you. When we have surrendered, when we're on mission, when we're really, truly following Jesus, when we walk within his will, when we serve his mission, here's the remarkable thing. He has promised, first of all, that he'll be with us always. He has promised he will hear us, hear our prayers. And hearing them, he has promised he will do whatever we ask, whatever we've asked in his will. That, it is, that is an astounding promise. And if we believe it, there is no limit to what we can do for the mission of the kingdom of Jesus Christ.